Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending September 2nd, 2023. I'm Kim Hollis, thanking Jimmy Buffett for everything. It's been a lovely cruise. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, ordering a cheeseburger. I can't count myself as a Jimmy Buffett fan, but I know how much he meant to a lot of people, including people on this podcast and a couple other friends and co-workers. So yeah, this is this is just very, very sad. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst, who is thinking about that one particular harbor so far, but yet so near. Jimmy Buffett was legitimately one of the best writers and storytellers of this generation. He will be missed sorely. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's got a well-deserved smack coming. Hey. Hey, David. Is it time for me to send you my draft picks yet? I will shrivel your flesh and crush your soul. <laughs> With things looking more bleak than ever and no end in sight for Hollywood's double strikes, the hits keep on coming and not in a good way. Do hits ever come in a good way? Series are being canceled, some that were filmed but never premiered. The tidal wave of new content on streaming has slowed to a trickle, and lawsuits are flying as investors claim they were misled about streaming losses by the studios. But could it be that Hollywood's about to be saved by a statuesque blonde? See what I did there? Is it Barbie? Is it? <laughs> No. Yeah, that's right. It turns out that the best news to happen to Hollywood in weeks is that Taylor Swift is bringing her concert movie to theaters and already it's breaking box office records. Yeah, if for some reason you've just ignored pop music in the last few years, Taylor Swift is the biggest thing in music quite possibly ever. Uh, she hadn't toured in a couple of years because of COVID. So when she launched her Eras tour, it's selling out stadiums all over the country and all over the world, just, you know, even with multiple, multiple shows, multiple nights. I know people who have seen her many, many times. So finally, someone came up with the idea uh, what, well, hey, what if we just made a concert film? And as they announced it basically out of nowhere this week. And yeah, the pre-sales are already through the roof. And when you say someone, what you really mean is Taylor Swift's father, right? Um, pretty much. Yeah, I think he was the brainchild behind it. So basically, they figured out a second way to monetize their concert tour. And oh, by the way, there'll be a third one later because this deal doesn't include the streaming rights yet. That'll be a later thing. Oh, wow. So, Tim, what's the difference in October having this as a theatrical release versus not having this? Um, the word we're looking for is survival. Isn't it? Yeah, it isn't this deal with actually with AMC rather than say a studio. So they are just probably popping champagne right now at headquarters. Correct. And if you're wondering whether or not this is a streaming story, we're covering a lot of different things at once here. The fascinating aspect of this is Taylor Swift has taken a side in the current writer and actor strikes. She basically went to the guy who is in charge of AMC and said, hey, this isn't right. I want to help. Here's what I have proposed for you. They didn't even involve agents at first. They only got the lawyers involved at the end of this. It was basically just like, let's put this in theaters to help exist 
which God love her for doing that. They need the help. And it's not going to be going through any conventional sort of distribution system, which means she's cut out the studios who are being so selfish right now in everything they do. She has taken specifically the side of the people being hurt by the decisions of the David Zaslavs in the world. It is just a remarkably strong move on her part. And oh, by the way, the early ticket sales for this suggests the fact that it's going to be an absolute juggernaut. I was joking with Kim. We already got an email this morning from Cinemark saying they've added more screenings because those sold out in the blink of an eye. This is a game-changing situation in a month of October that was looking grim. And by the way, the thought of it is so scary that Exorcist was supposed to be released on this same day. They've already flinched. They've already moved to the week before that. So they're going to try and get one week out of it before the Swifties take over theaters. The entirety of this story is amazing to me because this is the boost that theater owners desperately needed for this fall. Yeah, the through line here, the narrative here this week is the consequences of the strike not having been resolved. There was a lot of hope that the strike would be resolved by Labor Day. At this point, Labor Day is two days from when we're recording this and things are not looking good. What's happening for the Hollywood studios is they're circling the wagons. The negotiations with the Writers Guild did not go well a couple of weeks ago. Things fell out. They're not really talking anymore. Now the studios need to figure out how they're going to shore up their bottom line and survive through to the end of the year. And beyond that, let's remember what happened after two years of COVID when the studios cannot produce new content. We're looking at that happening again sometime next year when there are no new movies for the studios to be released. They're to some degree taking care of that by postponing the release of some content, but that's only going to take them so far. They need to be making movies and TV shows now so they can put them out in 2024. And they can't be because there is a strike. And in the meantime, some of that original content, the studios have decided it's just too expensive for them to release. Disney filmed a full series of the Spiderwick Chronicles based on the popular young adult series. They have now decided, you know what, it's going to cost us too much for us to put that out. Cancelled. You'll never see that series unless they sell it to somebody else. Let's be clear with our wording here. It's not that it was too expensive because they've already paid that expense. What they've decided is they're not going to get the bang for the buck they need here. So they would rather have the tax write-off for just banishing this from existence than they would get from any benefit of actually airing it. And so what we're learning, when Disney actually goes into their books, what they're realizing with Disney Plus is people prefer catalog titles so much that new series have to be really, really special to actually have any impact on the bottom line and they decided that Spiderwick Chronicles didn't. It breaks Kim's heart. <laughs> she was hoping for a long time that after the movie bombed, somebody would try this again. They did. And now we're never even going to see that. That's where we're at with all this. And that's not the only series Disney has basically sunk. Hey, I'm big with the puns this week. The UK series Nautilus that's uh, thematically based on Jules Verne was going to air on Disney Plus and Disney's decided they're not going with that one either. This is at this point going to become lost media. Media. In 2023, we shouldn't be talking about lost media. This is absurd. Other studios are canceling series left and right simply because it's too much trouble. Contracts are expiring. And sometimes, you know, things work out for the best. Max has canceled The Idol, the Sam Levinson series that was so troubled. It will not get a second season. And I don't think anybody wanted one anyway. Wait. 
Max canceled the idol? Now, didn't we previously report that they canceled the idol and then denied it and said that they hadn't decided yet? Yeah, right. Wasn't it a hit? Wasn't it like really popular and critics loved it or something? Isn't that what they were telling us? I remember a lot of BS press releases that argued to the death that this thing was going to be just explosively popular. It's almost as if David Zaslav went all in on something, The Flash, and it didn't work out, (laughs) The Flash. And didn't they say it was going to be a certain number of episodes? And they're like, no, 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 it was always going to be five, five for the full whole season and then oh god oh dear lying liars yeah there was six episodes film which makes you wonder how bad the footage was that they had to take the best they could from six to make five that were terrible (laughs) hulu's canceling series as well the great which was critically acclaimed award-winning and honestly i would argue quite popular has been canceled after three seasons they're adhering to the netflix three seasons and you're out protocol i assume because contractual obligations meant that it would cost them a lot more to do a fourth season but then again how i met your father only lasted two seasons hulu's canceled that one as well and that's also probably for the best the moral of the story here is everything that wasn't an absolute quantifiable juggernaut is getting canceled because they just don't want the aggravation at the moment because of the havoc caused by the strike. And oh, wait, whose fault is the strike? Oh, it's the streamers. Let's circle back around for a moment to something David was saying earlier about catalog content. The big story in streaming this year is the success of Suits, a USA Network series that made its way onto Netflix eventually and now has been dominating in the ratings on streaming. Suits had a spinoff on USA Network a show called Pearson. No one remembers that series because it was canceled after one season. You would think as a series produced by NBC Universal that it would be on Peacock. Evidently, it wasn't until now. Peacock thinks they can get some success by putting this Suits spinoff on their streaming service. But I'll remind you, they had Suits on Peacock for years and no one noticed. So what are the odds that someone's going to notice the Suits spinoff on Peacock? Yeah, that announcement was very much, we have more Netflix, make us an offer. It is, as David said, the fault of not necessarily the streamers, but of course the studios that own them. This is the result of the studios bungling the release paradigm. For years, they did very well putting out their content through cable and collecting carriage fees from cable companies like Comcast and Charter. But every year, they seem to increase those carriage fees, which means that the cable companies would have to charge you more, the consumer, for cable. And consumers started saying, well, that's too much. I'm going to cut the cord. And when you cut the cord, what do you do? You subscribe to a streaming service. Now you're giving your money directly to the studios and you're cutting out the cable company. We have seen the consequence of that. It's happening right now as Charter and their cable company Spectrum are fighting with Disney. They do not want to pay those higher carriage fees and Disney's not collecting that money anymore. Essentially, they're at a stalemate. We are now at the end game. Who's going to blink? Whoever does, the consequence is you're going to end up paying more. Yeah, let's go ahead and do some numbers with this. The basic fact here is that there's three entities whenever there's a product like this. There is the person who owns the cable channels and linear network programming as a whole, the middleman, which is actually the cable companies themselves, and then there's the subscriber. And what has happened here is it's just been an annual rite of passage. Every one, two, three years, depending on the business, somebody like Disney will renegotiate with Comcast, with Charter, and they'll say, all right, we need to charge you more for ESPN. 
And I mean, the numbers are pretty staggering. I was looking at this last night. ESPN has basically increased its carriage fees 100% in 10 years. That is not an exaggeration. Obviously, that vastly surpasses the rate of inflation. That is because of cord cutting. Whenever Charter or Comcast or someone loses those subscribers, they're out the money. However, Disney is also out the money as well because they get, as of this moment, this is a real number, $9.42 for every subscriber that Charter has. That is the price just for the ESPN content. And so what happened this week was Disney asked for even higher carriage fees beyond the $9.42. And Charter Spectrum finally looked at this and they said, we're down to 14.7 million subscribers. We had 17 million not that long ago, just before the pandemic. We are in free fall with our subscribers. We cannot keep paying more for carriage fees, it doesn't make sense for us. We have previously mentioned on this podcast the dangers of being the middleman here. This is the textbook example of this situation where Charter Spectrum's numbers are no longer making fiscal sense. So they drew a line in the sand here and they said, we're not going to pay you what you're asking, Disney. And the result is on Thursday evening, right when college football was supposed to kick off its biggest games thus far this year, Charter Spectrum faded to black on its ESPN channels and thereby all of its 14.7 million subscribers could not watch those football games. Instead, there was an angry, angry message about Disney. What that really was, this entire skirmish, which by the way, Charter Spectrum can easily afford to pay because they have more than 30 million internet subscribers, which is the real way they make their money now. This was Charter Spectrum drawing their line in the sand for the last time because they know what Bob Iger already said. Linear networks are a no-growth business, and they cannot keep raising rates. Disney is doing it right now because they want to make sure they're keeping the revenue at the rate they have, even as they lose customers. Charter Spectrum is starting to reach a point where the water is over their head. They can't do that anymore. Sounds like you're arguing that vertical integration maybe is not the best thing for the economy, that maybe the content owner shouldn't also be the distributors of content because the consequence is this kind of monopolistic practice happens. That's not actually what I'm saying. I'm a pretty strong proponent of vertical integration. I understand the argument you're making. What I'm actually devout about is that the middlemen part of business no longer makes sense. That part of it, that excess needs to get cut out. There is no reason why people should be going through a third party to get streaming content. That's what Charter is. Disney should be able to direct access customers, and they should do so not through Charter Spectrum cable, but through Charter Spectrum internet. And that's the way this is going. That is pretty much one of the core tenets of our podcast, actually. And the problem is Charter Spectrum isn't ready to acknowledge that yet because they lose revenue if they do. Thank you, David. Now let's go to the box office for the weekend, which isn't as sad as a typical Labor Day weekend might be. No, because we actually have an exciting sequel. It's the Equalizer 3 or 3 Equalizer. Why didn't they call it that? We are in Labor Day weekend, which is not good for box office, but it comes in with a Friday of 13.1 million with 3.8 million of that accounted for on Thursday. But that's fine. This has been actually been a pretty consistent franchise with the first two movies, even though they've all opened at very different times. The first one was in late September of 2014. The sequel was July 2018. They opened 34, 36 million respectively, and both earned just a 
bit over 100 million. And this seems to be trending in the same direction. Yeah, we actually discussed this either last week or the week before where I was trying to figure out why you were so negative on it. And it turned out you weren't negative. You're just really negative about the state of box office right now, which is completely understandable. (laughs) I think that there's two fascinating through lines on this story. The first is there is right now on CBS an equalizer television series that has nothing to do with this. Mm Mm-hmm. And that didn't impact the box office of this either way because people just really like Denzel Washington. Yes. And this franchise is like a combination of his John Wick and his Taken. He is kind of like in that spot Liam Neeson was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago where he is so beloved and people buy into him as an action figure. So you show this really good trailer where he, you know, puts a timeline on a guy and says, hey, I'm going to make you feel pain this way in this way and then he does it it's fun to watch it is really really engrossing and Denzel Washington quite possibly the greatest living actor definitely in the conversation for it this is a good franchise and I am not surprised this did well and that's why uh, last week or two weeks ago you might have heard the surprise in my voice that you didn't sound as you know optimistic this is around what I expected uh, yeah I don't think I was really that down on it I was just I was just confused by I mean, I mean it's one of the things that we've discussed in box office for 20, 20 plus years now where bad weekends are really self-fulfilling prophecies. Like there are certain days that definitely do have an impact, but the reason a Labor Day weekend or say late late August or just there are certain periods of the box office that aren't good is because the movies aren't good. Like you probably could have put out Barbie anywhere and it would have done the exact same thing. That's the type of thing that we wish we could prove. But yeah, no, I think this is fine. I And I think it's headed to, yeah, I mean, hopefully it's headed to 200 million and may come in just slightly under because just, that's how just box office works now. And we don't know the release windows for this anymore. They may just after you know a month or six weeks say okay it's on streaming now bye but you know i think this is fine it's around where i expected as well um meanwhile a couple other things barbie has officially crossed the 600 million dollar mark with friday's box office how much money could you have made like i don't know at the beginning of the year and said barbie will make this much money it will be the number one movie of 2023 no one would have believed you You would have been laughed Someone should start some kind of online game where you can predict how much money some movie is going to make at the box office. <laughs> oh, oh, the good times. The, good the times. old days. Yeah. Did I understand correctly that they've actually pushed back the digital release of Barbie a week because it continues to do so well at the box office? <laughs> That is correct, but it's not that big a factor. This is the point we're trying to make on all this is the people who are likely to buy something in digital. If you look at the Venn diagram of them versus people who will go see a movie in a theater, there aren't many people in the middle of those two circles. It's Kim and I. I mean, we're right. definitely among them, but most people are either I'll go see this in a theater or I'll buy it when it's available on digital. And so Barbie is about to get a second wave of revenue, and that's going to be fun, too. Yeah, and meanwhile, during the week, Oppenheimer costs three hundred million. So there you go. Barbenheimer just responsible for nine hundred million dollars of domestic box office revenue this year. Amazing. History uh, will remember twenty twenty three as the year that Barbie, Taylor Swift, and Oppenheimer saved the movie going experience. Yes. And I don't even think I'm being hyperbolic when I say that, because if we were comparing the numbers from 2019 to 2023 with and without those, the difference would be staggering percentage wise. They really would. Yeah, I don't think that's an exaggeration either. And we we will look back on this several years from now and just marvel at it because it, nothing like this may ever happen again. And yeah, the Taylor Swift concert movie hasn't even opened yet. That's like a month away, but we're already like predicting this to be huge because we know it likely will be based on based on pre-sales. And has anyone you know gone to a Taylor Swift concert this year? Yeah, they're going to see this multiple times possibly. 
Yeah, my niece actually surprised me here. She's in her 20s, and I had expected her to be all over this. And she said, nah, I'm not going to go see it in the movie theater. I caught the concert tour. And I was like, wow, okay. Because I get the feeling a lot of people who saw it at the stadium are going to happily relive this experience in theaters. Oh, yes. I think I think yeah. that's absolutely true, as well as the many, many people who got shut out from being able to go see her live. Right, due to just either overwhelming demand or just prices or attempting to buy them on the secondary markets and they were just marked up tremendously at times it was the thing so yes people did not get to see it but they will absolutely go see this whether or not they they saw her live okay well let's go ahead and move on to the ratings then okay and i'm actually very excited for this week's ratings it is the week of monday july 31st to sunday august 6 2023 and yeah suits is suits is still here crushing everything but there there is actually some exciting stuff to talk about uh the top show for the week on the original chart is the lincoln lawyer uh 1.7 billion minutes for 20 episodes because we got the second half of the second season on august 3rd so yeah just five more episodes in just three days but it shot right back up to the top with a really impressive number so I, maybe people just waited for the whole the whole season or they rewatched the the first half of it just to reacclimate themselves if they watched it earlier in july when it premiered and because netflix does whatever they want to do uh they went ahead this week and said yeah this is going to have a third season which is not a surprise i just kind of figured they wouldn't do it during the strike. I wonder how that even works out. Who are you negotiating with when actors aren't even allowed to talk to you? <laughs> Maybe they're just like, yeah, yeah just uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in this till it's over. But yeah, you're you're, you're gonna get it. we want you for a third season. Just uh, don't make any plans until uh, after, after the strike ends. We'll <laughs> we'll be in touch. Uh, second, the top show for the last couple of weeks, Sweet Magnolia, 740 million minutes for 30 total episodes. We will surely see this again. I bet it gets another season because it did very well. That, but this one, they'll probably hold off on until the strikes are resolved. Uh, the Witcher from Netflix. So Netflix has the top three shows on the originals chart. But guess what, folks? That's it. Uh, more on that in a moment. But 703 million minutes for 24 episodes. The second half of its third season arrived on last week's ratings. So yeah, another show doing doing very well. And we know this one will already have a fourth because they've had to recast the lead. Right. And fourth from Prime Video, a show we saw last week, Good Omens, 436 million minutes for 12 total episodes. Well, Prime Video does sometimes release things weekly. This day, they dropped the whole season on July 28th. So this was the, the full week of the availability of second season. So very good to see. And fifth from Hulu, a show we saw arrive last week, Futurama, 401 million minutes, 437 total episodes, because we are getting the eighth season of it week by week. So this is going to hang around for quite some time, and I'm here for it. Oh, I've missed it so much. And it has been such an extended victory lap of the season. And <laughs> knowing that there's another season on the way just makes my heart sing. I need to remember to pull up Hulu and watch this at some point. I'm basically waiting for more episodes of Only Murders in the Building to arrive. But this will actually probably be something I can uh, I can put on in the meantime. Another Prime Video show in six, The Summer I Turned Pretty, 399 million minutes, 13 total episodes, because the second season is releasing weekly. They dropped the first three on the 14th, but it's been one a week now through August 18th will be the finale of the second season. So yeah, another success for Prime here with this with this show. That's a really big number for something that's weekly. It's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? Yeah, right. We always say we have to grade these on a curve because the ratings are dominated by by Netflix. It does not count second screen viewing. So it's just anything being watched on a TV. But yeah, that's absolutely fine for something that's not Netflix. And as, as I said, Netflix only had the top three original shows this week. Everything else is another streaming service, So which is why this, this list is actually rather exciting to me. Uh, and seven from Paramount Plus, another show that's been around for a few weeks, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, 19 episodes, 362 
Million Minutes Viewed. Not quite at the season finale of this second season yet. That will actually arrive with next week's ratings. The final episode was August 10th. I love that this is showing up. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about it for a few weeks now, and I'm just very happy that, that it's here. And they're even going to throw this on CBS in the fall, right? Yeah, that's right. I wonder if that might give it a streaming bump as people race to Paramount Plus just to catch up on all the episodes. Yeah, I hope so. All right, guys, in eighth, we have a new show from, believe it or not, Apple TV+. Plus. What? I know. Two shows. From no way. Before. I know. And it's not a Ted Lasso spinoff. No way. I know. Right. And it's not a terrible movie. It is Hijack, uh, which, by the way, make sure you search Hijack 2023 or Hijack TV show when you look this up, or you will probably end up on some no-fly lists. Uh, but <laughs> 357 million minutes for seven episodes. Now, this was a weekly release for Apple TV+, and it turns out this was the finale, which arrived on August 2nd. This is Idris Elba negotiating a hostage situation on a flight over the course of a season of episodes. This really does speak to what you were saying earlier, Tim, about second screen viewing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Apple leans very heavily into that second screen viewing. They oh, expect course. a lot of their viewers are going to watch their content on their iPhones and the iPads. Yeah, oh yeah. You, you get a new device, they throw a couple months subscription at you too. Exactly. So the fact that this is actually making that crossover onto set-top boxes like the Apple TV and the Roku and mm -hmm. Amazon Fire Stick and so forth means it's had that crossover success that we've seen ever so rarely that we've only ever seen, of course, with Ted Lasso. And, you know, I'm not ruling out that this isn't maybe just a very dark Ted Lasso spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, the like I said, the bad news is it was the entire season, so we we had to let it run its entire weekly release before we saw it on the ratings. But hey, if you made it. And that's good. Uh, this doesn't appear to be the type of thing. I mean, you can call, you can make a second season out of it, but this really is more of a miniseries rather than a uh, a season, which is not new to streaming. Like there, we we sometimes say on what's new, it's a limited series. But yeah, no, this this is great to see. It got some, it definitely got some wide attention, and we know that the viewership definitely is much higher because people are probably watching this on an iPhone or iPad. Uh, and ninth, another show that's been hung around for a few weeks, Jack Ryan, three hundred forty-six million minutes. For 30 total episodes, three seasons, this show is now complete. Probably seeing it for the last time, maybe, maybe one more week. Definitely a, a certified hit for, for them over the course of, of its run. One more new show in 10th, and that is Twisted Metal, 326 million minutes for 10 episodes. And this has come from Peacock. It's based on the video game series. Wow, I don't think any of us saw that coming. No, I did not think this would make the ratings, just basically because it was on Peacock. I mean, if it was Netflix, then yeah, I would have said, absolutely, this will crush things. But I, I have seen some promotion for this. And yeah, I've, I've known people who checked it out and said, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's uh, for a 30-year-old video game yes. that really has yeah. no cultural impact. I loved it, but... Wow. Yeah, they've uh, they really have been promoting it. I know we talk a lot about Peacock and their lack of marketing, but mm -hmm. this was one that they I feel like they actually did market in probably the right places. I do wonder if maybe this is a reflection of some kind of marketing experiment for them, because I don't know who you've been talking to, Tim, but I watched that first episode and I was done with it. <laughs> uh, I do get that there might have been some degree of nostalgia factor, but really, uh, of all the shows that could have been a success on Peacock, Twisted Metal doesn't seem to be the one that should be here on this chart this week. Yeah, I know you're you're a big 
promoter of Peacock's content. And yeah, they do have, have some good stuff. But yeah, for this to be the thing, uh, I guess it might've just been the marketing and, and nostalgia. But yeah, the, the 10 episode season arrived July 27th. So it, it was a full week. So we didn't see it with its premiere. But once I realized this this was here, I got super excited because that was six different streaming services that made the originals chart this week. But one's missing, isn't it, Tim? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, hey remember, remember Secret Invasion? N- no, you don't because it was terrible. And it, everyone else forgot it too, because just a week after its final episode of its season arrived on the ratings, yeah, it fell off. So no Disney Plus show representation on the originals chart this week. So way to blow it, Disney. So basically everybody who was going to watch it was just watching it as it came out and they probably lost viewers, I'm gonna guess, yeah. but... We could uh, we could sort of see that trend from the the ratings week week by week because we it was one episode e- each week we could tell people were not impressed and and giving up on it because so, the yeah. you should theoretically increase viewership as you add, yes as you add content and they really didn't. <laughs> In fact, there is a surprisingly lack of Disney Plus representation on the charts this week. I mean, Bluey is still here on the acquired chart with Cracking a Billion, but they do land with a bang on, as we slide over, and I probably could have made this segue smoother, uh, we slide over to the movies chart, and the top movie is Garden of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is on Disney Plus. 1.6 billion minutes. So basically, if you were watching Disney Plus this week, you were watching Bluey or Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> basically, yes. And no other Disney Plus on the movies chart this week. So no no Moana, no Encanto. This arrived on Disney Plus actually on August 2nd. So this I could see this go up the following week. With a full sure. Week. I really don't feel like they had a lot of content during this time frame. So no, they didn't. Maybe it just makes sense that this would be this would be it. Yeah, we're a few weeks away from actually seeing uh, Ahsoka numbers, which allegedly is crushing it. If you believe Disney and well, then of course leads into the, well, if that's true, then, you know, pay your writers more. So I'm curious to see how that does. But yeah, there was kind of a gap in Disney Plus. I'm sure they were expecting Secret Invasion to do much better and, and hang around till that arrived. But I'm not surprised that this is here when it when it arrived on, on Disney. Something else new and exciting in second, and this is also from Peacock. So hey, they, they're having a pretty good week for themselves. The Super Mario Brothers movies here at last. 717 million minutes. Yeah, I think we expected it to be a smash, even, oh, even yeah. though it's on Peacock, and indeed it was. Oh, and guess what? Being a universal release, guess what happens in a few months? Oh yeah, those numbers, once it hits Netflix, are going to be astronomical. It will be on Netflix in in four months. So yeah, just buckle up. Oh, when, when, when that, buckle, buckle up when that up, arrives. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be huge when it hits Netflix. Holy cow. It'll be the thing that people say, okay, kid, sit in front of the TV and watch that. Yeah, when we hit those ratings for the beginning of December... Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> One billion, two billion. Yeah, place your place your bets, but it's going to be a few months. But yeah, that's part of the Universal's streaming deal. Oh, boy. Yeah, so just hold that thought. But this is still very good for, for Peacock, especially right out of the gate. A couple of movies we saw last week for the first time with pretty decent numbers for the second week. Happiness for Beginners is third, 517 million minutes. And Hidden Strike, the Jackie Chan, John Cena movie for some reason, 511 million minutes in fourth. Uh, fifth is Paramount Plus, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, 438 million minutes. And then that's the only other non-Netflix movie on the chart this week. And then we get a little weird. In sixth, we have a movie called Fatale, 402 million minutes. Not Fatal. F-A-T-A-L-E is in Femme Fatale, but just Fatale. This is a 2020 movie, of course, starring Hilary Swank that just showed up on, on Netflix for this ratings period. Uh, why? Yeah, I know. Of all the things that arrived, too, because, of course, we flipped the calendar with these ratings. So this was the winner of the August 1st sweepstakes. That is weird. 
Yeah, no idea. But yeah, August 1st, it arrived and people decided that was enough for this. They really like Hilary Swank for some reason. I don't know. In seventh, Miraculous, Ladybug, and Cat Noir, the movie. We saw that arrive last week, 351 million minutes. A couple other new movies, at least these are 2023 releases. In eighth, Jesus Revolution, 310 million minutes. This is a faith-based film. Yeah, it's a dramatization of a spiritual awakening that happened amongst a group of hippies in the 1970s. Okay. This was actually a a theatrical release earlier this year, back in February. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Is, Is Kelsey Grammer in this? Uh, he is, but okay. Yeah, yes. so yes, okay. I vaguely okay. remember it. Okay, yeah. basically that's what I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was new on on Netflix, and yeah, I, I almost feel like they would be more successful, you know, faith based releases on on streaming, but maybe not. I mean, I guess maybe we see what happens when Sound of Freedom shows up on streaming, or if it if it ever does. I'm I'm curious how that if that will translate that box office campaign they had into watch this on streaming and. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Something else new in ninth, River Wild, 296 million minutes. This is actually a remake of the River Wild from 1994, which I remember had like Meryl Streep and Kevin Bacon. Yeah, we sure did talk about that and what's new in streaming and mentioned that very fact. (laughs) Someone thought they could do better than Meryl Streep. (laughs) Right. Layden Meester, Taryn Killam, and Adam Brody. Nope. Sorry. But yeah, it was uh, directed streaming August 1st. And people, oh, I remember that movie. Let's watch this. And then they said, what is this? Where's Randall Street? Where's Kevin Bacon? And then somehow kept watching it because it still managed 296 million minutes. We wrap up movies with the movie that was actually on top last week. They cloned Tyrone, drops to 242 million minutes. And rule after your mini review on it, I am wondering if it was just a little too weird. I think this is more a reflection of the fact that Netflix just has too many things for them to put onto the home screen. They have to move <laughs> on quickly. Right. They just need to promote uh, different content every week, and they clone Tyrone. It was their week last week, and it's something else this week. Oh, okay. So Netflix viewers have no object permanence. If it's not on the front page, we don't want to watch it. Exactly. Okay. Acquired is, of course, still led by Suits, another 3.2 billion minutes for its 135 episodes as people just, I guess, work their way through the series. And that's why it's starting to decline because some are, some are finished, but some are still going because, you know, that's a, lot, that's a lot of seasons, nine seasons it had. So sure, why the heck not? Other than that, it is 10 shows we've seen before. I mentioned Bluey. The SpongeBob SquarePants makes it pops up again. Credited to Paramount Plus and Prime, 439 million minutes for eighth. Friends from Max, 473 million minutes in seventh. Uh, but yeah, just most of the usual other suspects. But I feel even though we know it's not going to be good times, the idea of having six different services make this ritual charge just screams something that really healthy to me. And even though we know it's not going to last, I'm sure in, in a week or two, it could all be dominated by, by Netflix again. But I just like that we had such variety among the services finally making these ratings after it, we didn't always have info from, say, Paramount Plus or Peacock or Apple initially. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. I'm in the same boat. I like to see so much diversity in the charts. And that's only six of eight different streaming services that are metered every week. Mm -hmm. We mentioned already Disney Plus didn't make the list. The only show they had was Secret Invasion, and that's dropped off. And Max rarely makes the originals because they have very few shows that are exclusively Max originals. Most of the series we do end up watching on Max are actually HBO series. And so unless, and just like that suddenly becomes very popular (laughs) that they're not going to be making making it onto the originals charts very frequently. But at the same time, with eight different streaming services out there, I think the nature of American consumerism suggests that we're going to end up seeing some consolidation at some point. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely in that in that bonus as well. Yeah. So yeah, Max and 
Disney Plus or the other streaming services that we have, of course, represented in these and other categories. But yeah, if, like the biggest show from Max that we've ever seen, House of the Dragon, since it also airs on HBO, Nielsen counts it as acquired. But I mean, that does mean all of them appeared this week, just not necessarily in the same grouping, correct? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had the the final of a rare appearance again by Apple TV Plus because that's been so, that's been infrequent. So if this has happened before and we haven't fact checked it, but if it has, it's a rarity. And the other thing, if you go back a couple of years on this podcast, this is one of the things we were saying. It was almost like companies like Paramount Plus and Warner Brothers Discovery were afraid to post their data for fear of them looking bad. Now that they're doing it, I think they're starting to realize the fact that yes, Netflix dominates. It's not as cut and dried when you isolate it down to a handful of shows though, because my top shows on one service are probably going to be more hyped than, you know, what you were saying with Netflix, Tim, which is, you know, once it's off the front page, it's not getting that attention anymore. It is basically like a magnifying lens on an ant. It really is. When Netflix starts highlighting (laughs) something, Yep. it's the only way I could say it. I mean, it's like, do this, do this, do this. And everybody's like, I think I'll do that willingly on my own. And it's different with these other channels, like especially Max, like Apple TV Plus, where they have to push a little harder. But this was a really exciting week for that reason. All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last few weeks. I did watch All In, and we'll get to that as soon as we get to Tim. But David and I also watched the first two episodes of Archer's final season. I like what they're doing, especially with the void left by Jessica Walters passing. Lana is stepping into the role as head of the agency. And the second episode is fantastic. They're off to a great start as always and I will be very sad when it's gone. That's good. You know, I I love Jessica Walter because she's one of those people where depending on your age, you associate her with something else. Mm -hmm. So when she passed away I asked my mom, wait, what do you know her best for? And she goes, oh, play Misty for me. Mm -hmm. And I said I said, oh, okay. Yeah, and of course most people will say maybe, you know, Arrested Development, but I'm like, oh no I immediately go to Archer. Yep. I I just absolutely love that and I know the show pretty much had to have run its course at this point, especially after her, but I'm, I'm glad they're kind of finding a way to just do one more season without her yep all right Tim. how about you yeah so i didn't actually get to watch it because unfortunately it was i was working when it was airing live mm-hmm. and i have this weird thing where i i can watch like clips but i can't go back and watch a non-live wrestling events but i've read about it i've seen a bunch of things about it but AEW's all in was clearly amazing i think the most important thing it feels like they finally had their their wrestlemania like they've done big yeah. shows they have to do four papers a year but this was i i've said for a couple of years now once they could start having crowds again i'm like they need to go bigger and then yes they said okay we're gonna we're gonna go to Wembley. we're gonna go as big as we can go yeah they basically sold the place out. Like yes. that is a huge stadium. I mean, yeah. they, they probably set a, a, an attendance record for a, a wrestling event. You know, uh, WWE does tend to inflate their numbers slightly. It really felt like something that they finally needed to do. I don't agree with everything. Like I, I don't need Don Moxley getting, you know, stabbed in the head with some like <laughs> skewers or something yeah. or whatnot. But, <laughs> but just like, you know, the, the story that they they were telling with Adam Cole and MJF where mm-hmm. it's like, is someone playing the other guy? Is someone playing the, or is MJF really just excited to have a friend for the first time in his life and he can't bring himself to actually you know like uh, turn on him it, it's, mm-hmm. it is it is absolute storytelling at its at its finest good job i'm glad they figured a way to also keep it going because it's, yes it's the hot it's the hottest storyline it's, story it's so good right it's so good yes 
<laughs> the two of them are just like they're great together. Yes. And even elevated Roddy Strong, you know, it, this is amazing. And, and they figured a way to like they, they did the Eddie Guerrero spot, but they they did it one better, you know, like yeah. Yeah. just very creative, clever things like that. And apparently it's the final time we'll ever see CM Punk in that. Uh, uh, I guess in, so. In that promotion because he's just been, quote, fired by AEW, Tony Khan personally, apparently. But yeah, it's it is, it is what I've said all they need to do all along and then is go go big because wrestling really is having a moment right now. Even WWE, yeah, maybe depending on the city they're in, some crowds are burned out, but they had a super hot crowd when they did a London show. They did a show in Puerto Rico and that crowd was absolutely on fire as well. So it really is having a resurgence right now and it's good to see them being rewarded. Yeah, I agreed. And I think they are doing a good job with storytelling in AEW. We have some really good things going from the elite who will now be in a pay-per-view with their enemies mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow on all on the same team, which I think is really clever. Yeah. Um, to Christian Cage, who apparently doesn't like anybody to have a dead father. Um <laughs> It really is just reaching its pinnacle and take a bow. And I know this this event initially when they announced it, the idea was it was probably going to be on Max because they still were going to say, okay, and we're still having all out the following weekend. So like getting fans to buy pay-per-views on back-to-back weeks is a big ask in the age of the WWE network. This did great. I mean, their gate alone was amazing, but I'm sure it it did well on pay-per-view. I'm a little concerned what their buy rate for all out is going to be. But yeah, this, this, they they need to have a care about that. Do you have like a financial investment? I don't, people say this online and it's mystifying <laughs> to me. They just made $10 million in gate revenue on one show. What do right. you care if the next show isn't as lucrative? I don't know. It means they shouldn't do it back to back like that. And well, when they went ahead and announced something of, like a, what, a Noki tribute show in like a month, that's supposed to, that may be a pay-per-view as well. Yeah, but that's a fandom thing. And again, mm. it's not your budget. And if he can afford it and he thinks it'll make Tony Khan happy, it'll make AEW fans happy. Isn't that what matters? I don't understand a lot of the criticism about AEW, which seems to be, it's too good. I don't like that about it. Yeah, anyway, it was just top to bottom, a fantastic show. Yeah, I'm kind of with Tim, like on the bloody stuff. I think they can do it without that. And I think they're kind of starting to move in that direction more. But, you know, Moxley's going to Moxley. Over Moxley's Um, dead body. I'll go ahead mm -hmm. and throw in the fact this was my thing as well. Yes, Kim's right. Archer's just spectacular. The second episode of this season of Archer highlights a new character and everything about it is pure joy. It really is. But with all in, some Samoa Joe just seemed in his element as someone who has been watching Samoa Joe for 20 years and watched him just utterly wasted in WWE. It is such a joy to see one of the greatest performers of this generation. Someone who, by the way, appears in Twisted Metal. Twisted Metal, yeah. That's right. It's all connected. Is so happy performing in front of this many people and just the glee of his I get a contact high from watching him and this show was so consistently excellent from start to finish that the worst match was basically the Young Bucks versus FTR who are probably going to go down as two of the best five tag teams in the history of wrestling and wrestling's 100 years old so I mean that tells you just how great it was and Christian's renaissance in AEW is such a joy to behold when he comes out Kim will tell you I sit up there are very few people across all formats if you talk about movies television concerts anything there are very few people that I stop what I'm doing and give them my full attention I devote 
myself to Christian because he's that good. And seeing him have the spotlight was also wonderful. I have always believed he was better than Edge, and it's fun watching him prove it here at the end. And I understand why Edge wants to come to AEW so that he can do something similar. AEW has become filled with dreams for performers, and it's just unfortunate that for whatever reason, CM Punk couldn't get out of his own way on this stuff. But uh, he had a worthy send-off. You can always say his final show with AEW was in front, the largest paid wrestling attendance ever. And if he can't make it work, he needs to go elsewhere. I am just thrilled with all of the good people in AEW who are thriving. Okay, and first of all, we're sorry, Raul. What's been keeping you busy? I have been using my Stars subscription. As I mentioned before, I actually just subscribed to Stars because there was this great promotion through Verizon that if you subscribe to Stars, you got Netflix. So I just got Stars so I could get Netflix. But this week, I watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is that Nicolas Cage movie. This is the movie where Nicolas Cage essentially plays a version of himself. He's an actor in Hollywood who can't land a series role, but there's a millionaire in Italy that wants him to show up for like a party. And so he decides to do the gig. The millionaire is played by Pedro Pascal, which probably explains why the Mandalorian was wearing his helmet so often last season. Pedro Pascal was off doing a real job. This is a really fun movie. It's essentially a comedy with some uh, dramatic elements. There are some shootouts and some car chases, but the dynamic between Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal is fantastic. It's really entertaining and I am glad I was able to see it and I am shocked that I am actually enjoying my Stars subscription in a couple of weeks later this month John Wick Chapter 4 will be coming to the streaming service and so I'll be looking for that one as well I recommend this movie and surprisingly I recommend Stars as well Whoa. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. Or maybe the week after. I'm going to be away next week, but we'll see if we can muster together an episode. <laughs>